So you're back for more. You couldn't stay away from the eternal of hot takes. And yes, that was done without any secondary help because I'm a voice master. Hi, it's me, Mr. Comet number five. You can always find me on Twitter at Mr. Comet number five, all spelled out except for the five. And this is Murphus. Uh, you can find me at Murphus Alvi MTG, and you can find my backlog of articles at commandersherald.com. And I am Bosch and Roll, aka Brian. You can find me at Bosch and Roll on YouTube and Bosch and Roll on Linktree. All my stuff's there. And starting off, we're going to take a look into good old Brian, uh, screw that, Bosch and Roll's head on Legacy versus EDH around Mana Rocks. So before you go into kind of how Legacy goes into Mana Rocks, I just want to open with this. I was talking with Mr. T earlier this week, and uh, or maybe it was last week, and uh, we were talking about Mana Rocks, and I was like, yeah, I don't know. I was just making some cuts, and I felt like I could do this. He's like, dude, I don't run three CMC Mana Rocks in any EDH deck. And I'll leave it there, because that really shook me and hurt me. Well, let me shake you and hurt you even further, <laughs> because in Legacy, there are really only three Mana Rocks, because all the best ones, the Soul Rings, the Mana Crypts, the, the Moxin, are banned, and anything that costs more than one is unplayable. So you're left with Lion's Eye Diamond, Lotus Petal, and Mox Diamond. Those are the only mana rocks that see play in Legacy. And you might see an occasional like Demir Signet or Talisman of Dominance in like some sort of Ancient Tomb Tezzeret build that's trying to jump from turn one to four mana very quickly. But that that's a corner case. It's Lion's Eye Diamond, Lotus Petal, and Mox Diamond. And those three cards go in completely different directions from each other because you put Lotus Petal and Lion's Eye Diamond in decks with very low land counts that are trying to end the game immediately. You're giving up basically a card. It's a treasure token. You're dedicating a slot in your deck for a treasure token. Those fly off of every card these days in EDH. <laughs> and you're putting an actual four slots in your deck for a treasure token. And what kind of deck is willing to do that except for one that's trying to win the game right now? And then on the other side of the spectrum, you have Mox Diamond that requires you to discard a land from your hand, uh, give up short-term card advantage for long-term mana stability. And what kind of deck does that? A deck that's trying to play a very long game and probably has... Uh, these numbers might not make sense to people used to building 100-card decks, but in Legacy, 23 is a lot of lands. Storm decks play like 16, 17... Uh, that's your Lotus Petal Lion's Eye Diamond decks. Uh, Show and Tell, which plays Lotus Petal, but not Lion's Eye Diamond because it wants the burst but can't afford to discard its hand. Might, you might see like 1920 lands plus the petals. And most of those lands are Ancient Tombs and City of Traders. That's your fast mana in Legacy. It's Ancient Tomb, it's City of Traders. Uh, those, are, those you see in a lot more places, but the mana rock situation, you really have to be a deck that's not trying to play much magic or a deck that's trying to play a lot of magic on the spectrum of LED Lotus Petal versus Mox Diamond. So but before I we kind of get into all of our thoughts, uh, I did have one other question for you. If Legacy had the restriction like Vintage does on those three mana rocks, where you're only allowed one in your deck, how would that force the Legacy community to have to go to larger CMC mana rocks? Or would you guys still just, okay, we're just going to run one of the ones that I can and you know, do rituals or do something else to, to fill in the slots. That's 
just such a fundamentally changing question of the entire format. Uh, I I don't have the the bandwidth to think about legacy with a restricted list on the fly like this, but I can talk about vintage where the the only card that's ever been banned on power level is Luris of the Dream Den. Everything else is just restricted. Like, yeah, warts and all, this is Magic the Gathering, but you only get one <laughs> of the worst things. And what ends up happening in vintage is you don't get four Mox Rubies, but you get one of each of the five color mocks and you get soul ring mana crypt black lotus the lotus petal and you just spread the love and at some point you don't even care what color it is it's just like <laughs> if this can get me one extra colorless mana on any turn of the game i'm in the <laughs> mana vault like you, you get the edh broken mana rock mana base when you go into vintage which actually does look like an edh mana base because those cards are restricted there and every card is restricted in edh Fair, fair. Yeah, I, I, as I was thinking about this topic, something that was really interesting to me was uh, the function, right? The function of Mana Rocks. When I think of EDH, um, and uh, I'm going to tell on myself, I don't play three Mana Cost Mana Rocks. Oh. I, I don't, because I want to I wanna play Magic. I don't want to dirtle. Um, <laughs> and so uh, I play one in, zero, one, and two cost Mana Rocks, and I play Rituals. Because I want to do the do the thing. Um, uh, I don't play broken combo decks. Uh, I was telling Bosch before the cast that I built an accidental mono red storm deck um, because Underworld Breach is a messed up Magic card. Uh, but um, the function of Mana Rocks in EDH is stability. Right. Like that's that's what it's trying to do. Like, you're sure, you're bridging to a longer game. You're accelerating your turn count effectively. But really, it's stability. It's fixing colors and it's adding um, it's increasing your likelihood of double spelling. But in my limited experience in legacy, that's not the actual function of of mana rocks. Uh, as I, I think of ant, right? Ad nauseum, ad nauseum tendrils. Like that deck doesn't care about stability and it certainly isn't trying to accelerate to a later point in the game. It's trying to count to like six. And so however it can count to six, it's going to do it. Uh, and it's going to try and do it as quickly as possible. Right. Uh, a deck like ad nauseum tendrils, it just wants to resolve ad nauseum and pick up most of its deck. And then Lotus petal, dark ritual it's off. We go into tendrils. It's all in the name. Ad nauseum tendrils. <laughs> Bang. <laughs> That's the plan. And I I wanna like expand on the idea of a mana rock and like what it means to EDH, what it means to legacy. In general, a game of Magic the Gathering will be won by the player who spends the most mana. And it doesn't really matter on what time frame this occurs. Like if the control deck drags the game out to a point where it's still it like fends off the little aggro deck, the aggro deck might spend one mana turn one, two, two mana turn two, three mana turn three. It spends six mana in the first three turns for an early advantage while the control player is just like holding up counterspell or doesn't get to spend all its mana on turn one. If we get into turn five, turn six, and now we're casting a planeswalker, we're casting force of will, uh, it'll catch up on the mana spent and probably win that game. And there's tempo decks like, uh, that play free cards like Force of Will or the the cycle of if you you have your commander, these are free, like Fierce Guardianship and Deflecting Swat. Those count as mana spent, even if you didn't spend mana on them. So like it, it gets into this tempo space, but in general, the person who spends the most mana is going to win a game of Magic. 
And the incentives are different at a four person table than one V one. Cause in legacy or in there's CEDH decks that go nutty, but in general, if you like Lotus Petal, Dark Ritual, cast a four or five mana Planeswalker on turn one in EDH, three people are going to beat you up. And, <laughs> and, and that's that. Uh, you have to navigate over time, pretend like feign weakness and, oh, I'm just not up to anything. I'm just casting right mana rocks. Like, what's the problem? Like, leave me alone for a minute. And then like, surprise, now I can cast three spells in a turn. I gotcha. Uh, yeah, it, it's so funny you say that, Bosch, because literally just what was it, Murph, like three days ago, um, one of our uh, admins um, and moderators for the Discord, SD Sharpie, had posted a picture in our Facebook magic chat, and it said, um, when I look up after going, you know, land, uh, crypt, soul ring, ritual, like, you know, just like the cascading of spells. And it says, when you realize that you went too hard at an EDH table, and then underneath it was the picture in Thor 3 of uh, Loki's uh, Odin being like, oh, shit. And it's like, <laughs> yeah, that's totally the feeling. What, what, like, you get that, and it's like, oh, yeah, oh, this feels good. And then you look up, and you're like, oh, my gosh. I forgot there's three other people staring at me with such hate right now. Yeah, they are planning their revenge. <laughs> Frequently, like, I if I have Sol Ring in my opening hand in EDH, I'll look at my curve and decide if I'm playing it on turn one. Yep. Like, if I'm not doing anything until five mana anyway, I'll wait till turn three to cast that thing and just sort of slide it in there. Like, oh, that it's not so scary on turn three. Don't yeah. worry about me, guys. And, <laughs> and that that's part of the game. Like, you got to... You can't make yourself the target yep. in a four-person game, but you can make yourself the target in a one, two-person game because you are the only target. You might as well go big. Bosh, I even do that when putting down my land in turns one through three. If it's like, if I got a Bayou or Underground Sea in hand, but then I got like some Scry lands or some crappy check lands, it's like, yeah, it'd probably be good for me to have an open mana, but I think it'd be better to play the bad lands not the Aber Duel, uh, in the first couple turns, because it's kind of like the Soul Ring thing. If you turn one Underground Sea Pass, people are just like, oh, well, I want to punch him in the face and steal his magic card. Uh, so, you know, th I think that goes to a lot of things in EDH, where a Soul Ring, a Mana Crypt, some of these more powerful or quicker cards, if you just wait, it'll actually serve you better, and you'll probably still get the same value out of it. Yeah, I, th I think it... You know, we talked about optimization a lot in Magic. We talk about optimizing, uh, even in Commander, which is a weird concept to me because it's like, what are you optimizing for? Um, but I, I do think it's often optimal to play Soul Ring on turn two, even if you have it in your opener, unless you're unless you're trying to count to six or something, right? Like there are decks at the highest end of the spectrum that that do reward you for doing the big thing early. Um, but so often the politics of the table want you to play slower and want you to, uh, to move down. I think that might actually, this might be the place for those bad three mana rocks guys. You go turn two soul ring into, into a commander sphere. Everybody's groovy. But if you go turn two into a soul ring into like a arcane signet into a, some other signet, then it's just a bad day for you unless you kill everybody quickly. Uh, I can speak from experience. So yeah, those turn one plays when someone at the table has turn one soul ring into signet. Uh, it's just like, well, our work's cut out for us, everyone. And the game has just already decided who the enemy is. And you just don't need to go that hard. 
most decks can't keep up going that hard against three layers of opposition. So, you know, the way that I have actually looked at Manor Rocks is a little, it's kind of similar to Murphys um, in EDH. Uh, two CMC for me uh, or less can be pure mana. Just give me mana. I don't care how you do it. I don't care how much it hurts me. Um, as long as you don't come in tapped, we're cool. We're good. Um, but I actually do run three CMC Manor Rocks. And where I've seen it work for me um, in Commander, it's the value that the rock is bringing on top of the mana. So the one that me and Mr. T talked about a few days ago is Chromatic Lantern. That's a card that I still love. I still run it in four color and above decks, hands down. Three color, depending on the colors, I'll actually put it in there as well. Because the ability to have any of my lands as well, tap for any color, has just made so many of my decks turn on. Because I do get very creative with colors as a deck builder, personally. Um, but even as we go higher, and this is where I'm even like, is it worth it? But you think of like Jeweled Lotus, or not Jeweled Lotus, uh, yeah. Nick Spilled Lotus. No, no, I'm thinking of the five drop. Gilded. Whenever someone attacks you, they get control oh. of it. Uh, jeweled and uh, oh, coveted jewel, coveted jewel. Thank you. So I even think about stuff like coveted jewel. Like, does this have a place in EDH? It draws me three cards, taps for three mana for five mana. That seems kind of good. So it, it's almost this thing. I think in EDH because our turns aren't one through four, or it's not this very I don't want to say linear play because that that would be me speaking on a format that I don't know a lot about, but it just seems like you guys have the kind of path and it's almost like you have like the guide you want to go down. EDH, it's a little bit more of a, I'm here for a build your own adventure story, not really sure how we're going to get to where. So sometimes you can have a little creative deck building like, huh. Would this coveted jewel be a lot of fun to throw it out there and see the chaos that ensues at the table with everyone trying to smack each other to draw three cards and get three mana? Yeah, I would get enjoyment out of that. So let me put it in there. Um, but I do, I do think you can't have a three CMC or higher mana rock that only gives you mana. And I'm including Gilded Lotus in that. That is now unplayable. Yeah, uh, I agree on Gilded Lotus. Um, I play Thran Dynamo. In oh, Bosch ooh. Iron Golem. Oh. Obviously, I have a Bosch deck, and Mono Red 8-drop Artifact Tribal has sort of different incentives than yep. uh, your normal deck is. I would not put Thran Dynamo in just like a CDC Brood Tyrant, you know? Uh, that's that's not a card I want to see. Uh, uh, one three-mana thing that I am into is Skyclave Relic, the one that you can mm. kick and get copies Love of it. Love that. And they're uh, indestructible? Awesome. Right. In uh, indestructible rock... <laughs> is so nice because someone's going to austere command. Someone's going to Niven Ural's disc. It's going to happen. You're going to lose everything you went for, which is why I prefer ramp to mana rocks. Like That's I'd fair. rather cast cultivate than Skyclave relic and, or even like ramp and growth over arcane signet. I'm, I'm obviously color pie uh, will affect what you have access to, but cards like burnished heart are across various colors and there's, Things you can do. Uh, there's artifacts that do that. Uh, but I like the more stable, less mess withable mana source than a three mana mana rock. That's so interesting. I've actually started cutting even Farseek from decks. Like green decks, like wow. four color green decks. I'm cutting Farseek. For I actually what? had a patron the other day tell me to cut Cultivate for Farseek. I, right. I, I don't run Cultivate in any decks uh, at this point. I might run it. I, I built like a Jund ball tribal deck 
or light a ball lightning tribal deck. And, uh, I might run cultivate in there. Um, but, uh, I found like, I would rather run a jeweled amulet. If you guys are familiar with that old bad card, zero mana drop, like it's a zero cost artifact that has one tap, put a counter on this and note the kind of mana you spent. And then it turns into a one mana rock. Um, that's like, it's pay one in, get one out kind of thing. But I found that that card is better on average for my decks than Farseek. Wow. Cultivate at least is card advantage. Uh, so that's, that's something. Um, but, uh, I, I get the austere command argument, but I think, I think we settle in EDH for building to the battle cruiser to the detriment of playing more games often. Uh, and that may be the a hot take for the night. I, I would imagine there will be more hot takes tonight if I, if I'm not mistaken. Uh, but I think we settle for dirtling rather than playing enough good games. So yeah. I'm, I'm incentivized to play rituals and zero one and two rocks. You're here for a good time. Not a long time. Ain't that the truth? Ain't that what I said on my first date. Oh, anyways. <laughs> Uh, well, that was a super engaging discussion around Mana Rocks. Um, and guys, if you're looking to get more on this uh, conversation as well, you should definitely hit up our Patreon, patreon.com slash cmdtower. Lots of different tiers on there. A dollar gets you full access into the Discord where you can even ask Bosch and Roll his thoughts around Legacy versus CDH. Uh, you could talk to the rest of the collective as well. Just cmdtower.com slash Patreon. Now, we're going to head over to our counter meta, and this is hopefully where maybe we can get some tips and tricks from Bosch on how to deal with some problematic things that we see in EDH that he might see in Legacy. And what we thought would be interesting today is to kind of talk about Golgari or green-black dredge. Um We've seen this in Commander, whether it be a Gitrog, or I used to even have a Hogak deck uh, that has been long since retired. It was not good. Um, and, you know, there's a lot of different things that kind of use this dredge mechanic just to do stupid, gross stuff. So, Mr. Bosch, I have to give you your respect now. Uh, what do you see around dredge involving green, black, and maybe there's some other colors or some other stuff, but how do you, what do you guys see in legacy or vintage? And maybe there's some tips or cards that we aren't aware of that we should kind of keep in our arsenal as well. There's a giant spectrum of graveyard as a resource in the legacy world. On the extreme end, there's lion's eye diamond dredge. This is a dredge deck fueled uh, with the aforementioned Lion's Eye Diamond, where that is a card that discards your hand when you use it. You are not here to play a long game. And usually the way that works is those decks are Jund or uh, sometimes even Splash Blue, like their five color, where they cast Faithless Looting. In response to Faithless Looting, sack their Lion's Eye Diamond, discard their handful of dredgers. Then they draw two or dredge two, discard two off of the Faithless Looting. Then use the Lion's Eye Diamond mana to flashback Faithless Looting and just chuck their deck at you on turn one. That's that's the extreme end. And then as you move up the spectrum, there's Hogak decks. You mentioned Hogak. There's like Vengevine, Basking, Rootwalla, uh, Stitcher Supplier kind of engines. These decks don't play Lion's Eye Diamond. They don't need it. Uh, they have Mana Dorks and uh, Hogak himself. And then 
as you get fairer, there's sort of madness decks that are also Vengevine decks, but these are usually gruel based and they use cards like Burning Inquiry and Goblin Lore to just whip cards around. And they play all eight of the Basking Root Wallas that you can cast for free when you discard. The Root Wallas trigger Vengevine. You discard a bunch of cards, you get Hollow One. So there's that. And then you creep into the fair zone where you get decks like Life. Now you're using Life from the Loam. We were talking about Stinkweed Imp and Golgari Grave Troll up to this point. Now we're talking Life from the Loam. These decks are extremely fair. They go from the extremely unfair to the extremely fair where they really want to settle in and like, I'm going to dredge my life from the loam, see three fresh cards in my graveyard, cast my life from the loam to pick those up. If you counter my life from the loam, I'll dredge it again next turn. If you use a one-for-one removal spell or like a wasteland, you just answered one of the three cards I got off life from the loam and they just slowly squeeze you card by card until you give up. And those are decks like lands or there's four color loam decks that are also chalice of the void wasteland decks uh all of the loam decks are also wasteland decks so they're wasting you while ignoring your waste and even pox like a a black green pox with urza saga and smallpox and dark ritual liliana of the veil and then it just pulls ahead with life from the loam very slow very fair but they're slowly squeezing the life out of you so you get this whole spectrum of what's coming out of the graveyard and how fast it's happening. And one that I want to mention, just because it's a very special thing that doesn't really exist anywhere else, Mana Less Dredge is a deck that exists. It's not very good right now. It had its time in the sun, but this deck literally has no mana sources in the deck. It has no ability to cast spells. You choose to take the draw in a two-person game. You keep every seven-card hand. You draw your eighth card. You move to clean up and you discard a dredger or a phantasmagorian that can discard three dredgers. And then uh, the deck has like street wraith in it to, to move a little faster, but there's no spells. And uh, that deck is really playing its own world. Like I don't care about your removal because I don't barely have creatures. I don't care about wasteland. I don't have lands. I don't care about counter spells because I don't cast spells. What can you do against me? And yeah, it's from yeah, what it's I understand, crazy. it's the, it's the closest you can get to not playing magic while you're playing magic. Cause you're not, you're utilizing triggers to play the game. Like there's a phase where you move to combat, but you're not, you're not a combat deck. You're, you're a balustrade spy, stinkweed imp, phantasmagorian Icarid deck, which is a bunch of words that mean nothing anywhere else. Yes. Uh, yeah. The balustrade spy is like a combo build. Uh, where that deck will try to cast Dread Return at some point in the game to get a combo piece in. and But then there's the ones where, like Icarid, it triggers in your upkeep. You exile a black card, get a 3-1 into play that dies at the end of the turn. You attack for three, it dies. It triggers your bridge from below. You get uh, one to four zombie tokens. And then every turn, you just get a slightly bigger army without ever casting a spell and without ever really opening yourself up to removal. Because if they kill your Icarid, that also triggers bridge from below and you get the zombies. It's just a very slow, it requires a very specific set of answers. It's incapable of fighting back. If you ever rest in peace or ley line of the void that deck, the game is over. They don't even pretend to be able to play it. They're just like, okay, <laughs> next game. But if you don't have that specific tool, uh, they are playing non-magic. So I think that's a you know great thing to kind of point out. I, I love the spectrum. I love the weirdness that the last deck you just talked about is. But so in Legacy, like, 
do you guys traditionally have like a handful of cards that you always sideboard to be able to deal with this graveyard spectrum? Because it is such a wide spectrum and that's a lot of strategies to account for. You guys get the luxury of that. We just get the luxury of having hundred card decks. So we kind of can have a sideboard in our 99. Are, are there some cards other than like the rest in pieces and um, the ley line of the voids that we should know about to kind of interact with these? I really like in EDH and in Legacy, it's really nice when you get passive graveyard hate on otherwise uh, permanents that do other things. Like putting a Graftigris Cage or a Rest in Peace in your EDH deck, you clearly have an agenda. And if you're local meta, if you're just trying to send a message to the the Hogak <laughs> player at your local meta, sure, that's a thing you can do. But it's going to hurt you when you're not putting it specifically that person. I'm really into like scavenging ooze as part of a green sun zenith package uh that sort of thing um knight of the reliquary uh with bajuka bog somewhere in your deck you have to be in the abzan wedge of course but that's a thing you can do or elvish reclaimer for bajuka bog is something you can do uh lion sash is sort of a white scavenging ooze that just got printed in neon dynasty endurance oh i love endurance uh that's just a big thick booty on a flash creature that also is graveyard hate. And the cool thing about endurance is it doesn't exile a graveyard. It puts it into their deck. So depending on how busted your metagame is, that also beats Thassa's Oracle because their deck will be full of what used to be their graveyard, uh, which comes up in legacy because doomsday is a deck in legacy. It's a Thassa's Oracle win and I'm kind of known for band control. That's been like my thing that I've put the most work into for the last year or so. And endurance was just a love letter to me specifically from wizards of the coast. They were like, you don't like reanimator. You don't like doomsday. You don't like Delver. How about a three, four flash reach creature with graveyard hate built in just for you, Brian. (laughs) I, I hope that came in like a very nice, like envelope. You know, maybe with like a, a coupon for like a ice cream from McDonald's wizard, just like here, you deserve a treat. That's a card and a treat in real life. It was actually really cool. They had commissioned like a practical effects artist to actually make the big endurance blob in real life. And it flashed in in front of my car on my way to work one morning. And I was like, what's going on here? And it, it was just this enormous blob. And it was like, you don't know yet, but we're going to be friends. And then it gave me a ride to work. And yeah, that's how I met Endurance the first time. And we Hella got lunch. practical effects. Yeah. Hella practical. Yeah. To this day, I don't know how it was done. Yeah, I I, I I like that idea of hate stapled onto something that's actually affecting the board. I, I think I've I've tended to even move off of Bajukabog because I don't have a way to um, readily fetch it often. Um, I try to eliminate shuffling from the equation in my decks as often as I can. Same. Um, uh, but I like the idea of things like scavenging ooze, like lion sash, um, uh, Dothy Voidwalker, uh, Dothy Voidwalker, Sanctifier slaps. Mm-hmm. Uh, there's a lot of bears or just uh, one to three mana creatures with passive graveyard removal. Uh, Dryad militant, one drop. One mana, two, one with passive graveyard hate on it. There's a lot if you look for it and you can just build it into your creatures or your permanents. Yeah, I, I fully agree with that. It's it's a little bit 
Um, now mine's sweatier because I'm talking higher CMC crap. But when we were talking about the mana rocks, I said, hey, three CMCs for me, you got to have something else other than mana. And so I like that. And I think actually, Murphus, this is something that we could extend beyond just this Golgari dredge conversation and graveyard hate. I think this is just commander in general. People get so salty with stacks pieces, which graveyard hate, that's a stacks piece. Um, but you know what makes people at least less salty? When you're doing something with your stacks piece. Maybe you have to attack with it. Maybe they can just creature board wipe it. When it's not just this land, like a glacial chasm. Or a enchantment, like a rest in peace. Some of the harder ones to get rid of. Or even Planeswalker. People seem to be a little bit more like, oh, that sucks. But it is on a creature. You know, I mean, we could deal with creatures. So I think if there's, if you guys are looking to have a little bit better play experience for your table, but you want to do uh, these impactful board cards, I think have them on a body, have them on an equipment, have it on something else that's doing another purpose. Because if you could be shown to be doing more than just draw a card, pass, then I think people are cool with stacks pieces because you're not really stacks. You're just slowing them down while still going the same speed of the game. Yeah, calling any sort of interaction stacks is, I think, a kind of a unrefined way to think about magic. And I love your point of sticking it on something else. And I want to shout out one of my new favorite cards from Streets of New Capenna, Unlicensed Hearse. That card is seeing play in Legacy. I have it in my S-tier tryhard Delver of Secrets sideboard for the mirror because it controls their Merktide regions, controls their Dragon Rage Channelers, and eventually it's just an 8-8. You can't Lightning Bolt that. In a game of Commander, it's a vehicle. It chills. It avoids Wraths uh, because it's not a creature most of the time, and it just hangs out, and eventually it attacks as a 6-6 or a 12-12 or a 24-24, depending on how long you're playing this game. That card is very, very good. It, I, it is. I've been playing it, and it's great. Yeah, I. I mean, I would play that. There's. Uh, there's already one card. I mean, I, I know it has a mass effect, but isn't there one that you either tap it, you exile a card from target player's library, or you tap, sack it, and you exile target player's graveyard? Uh, there is relic of progenitus. Kind of works like that. Uh, Soul guide lantern kind of works like that. Nile spellbomb kind of works like that. There's a lot of variants of that thing you just said. Well, so, but here's the thing that I like, though, about this and why I think this is cool from a commander aspect if, once again, if we're thinking about having multiple use for our hate bear cards. I think that's a better way to say it than stacks. Just hate bear. I'm, I'm interacting. I'm doing something. Um, the fact that the Unlicensed Hearse still does the Graveyard Exile, but then it's like, well, I got this 24-24 beater. Who wants to come at me? Um, that's really cool versus the Relic of Progenitus and the Nile Spell Bombs of the mm -hmm. world where they just kind of do the exile thing. And that's kind of it. There, there might be a little other effect that you could pay some mana into or do another cost and get a different uh, result. But I think something like this, where it's like my other result is maybe ending the game. That's something people can get behind. Mm -hmm. Yeah. And Hearse is a great rattlesnake, too, where uh, mm -hmm. you just you just sit it there like you want to attack me. I'll activate my 8-8. If you don't attack me, it'll be a 10-10 next round because I'm going to tap it and use it. Um, one that from the early days, the ancient times, I don't know if this card is still keeps up, but withered wretch, kind of the original scavenging ooze, black, black, two, two zombie from onslaught block, I believe. Yeah. Uh, pay one colorless exile card from a graveyard. No fuss, no muss. 
I was playing that in 2008 EDH. I remember that one. I, I think cards like that are great, right? And I, I think there's two important things to draw from this conversation that I'm hearing right now. Um, one is coffees for closers. Get yourself some coffee. Like, don't, if you're interacting and you want to interact on an axis that prevents play, you need to close the game. Like, don't don't sit on your thumb and spin in a circle. Like, actually close the game. Um, yep. And Unlicensed Hearse does that in spades. I also think of cards like Dryad Militant, like uh, Leon and Arbiter. I know different kind of effect, but those hate bears, stick those in the car. Use those. You know, bears in cars is is uh, is an EDH as a CEDH deck uh, that Jim from the Spike Feeders I think is has made kind of uh, internet famous. I don't know. Um, but the other thing I'm thinking of is you want to up your play skill quotient. You want to level up moment, play one shot effects, not static effects. It's not optimal, but choosing your spot with a nigh hilt spell bomb is will up your strategic overall strategic thinking about the game. than laying a rest in peace and just shutting off a strategy completely. Um, so I think there's two ways to think about it, close the game and also like think strategically and, and try to test yourself. Use an eye hill spell bomb instead of a rest in peace and see what happens. Yeah. Yeah. Super fair. Well, guys, before we head to our last segment, the one you've all been waiting for, uh, we did want to let you guys know about our store, cmdtower.com slash merch. Uh, we do have our foil play mats and the rest of our accoutrement on there. Really anything you guys could do to help us out. We'd really, really appreciate it. Now, it's the time you've all been waiting for. It's the Council of the Unbound! And, uh, good old Murphus, uh, I believe this is your, your last recording with us, and, uh, normally, I, I'm, uh, choosing what degenerate card I want to get off the ban list, but Murphus chose my, uh, target today, uh, in the infamous, uh, most recently banned, shouldn't have been, Hole Breacher. Uh, boy, two colorless blue. Why would anyone want to ban a fair, fair magic card? Uh, this isn't a stacks card. This is a you're playing unfair and I want to slow you down card. Creature Merfolk Pirate. It's a rare. It's a 3-2 with flash, which means you can play it at instant speed whenever you have priority. If an opponent would draw a card, except for the first one, they draw in each of their draw steps. So basically the first card they legally get to draw each turn of their turn. Instead of them drawing that card, you get a treasure token, which if you have been in a coma, you still know what treasure tokens are because Watsy's made sure of it. Um, a couple little stats about the card. Uh, you can still pick one up for $1.80. I wonder why. Uh, it got banned in the format it technically was created for. Uh, but per EDH rec, because people are lazy, it's only in 3% of decks. Um and, you know, these are decks that people have created in the last year and a half, two years, something like that. So this this was a banning that really, really hit me to my core. Not so much like Panher or uh, Paradox Engine. Didn't hurt me financially. I will recover from this. I only owned a copy. Um, it was a full art foil, which kind of sucks. But, you know, that, that's okay. I pulled it. I pack ripped it. This was one of the best designed cards to handle something that was widespread through Commander over the last go three, four years, because this card got printed in late 2020. 
card draw is becoming so widely abused in Commander. And from my observations, it's because Commander has evolved from a battle cruiser format into more of your other formats. It's a little bit more powerful. We're getting a little bit more focused. We're wanting more knowledge from our deck opposed to something with a big chest muscles and, you know, can trample through something. And so there weren't a lot of ways to interact with that. I loved this. Uh, it was a great way to do it. Being mono blue, you know, you could run it in your uh, is it deck. You could run it in your Simic deck. You could run it in really any of your colors. As long as it had blue, you were safe. But here's the thing that I always heard people. Well, Mr. Combo, Wheel of Fortune on the stack, Hole Breacher. I don't care. That's really not a big deal because they have to be in red. They have to have this expensive reserved list cards. There are other wheels still pretty expensive. And whenever I hear that corner case, my mind immediately goes to, well, the exact same argument could be said for Teferi's protection and Armageddon. We aren't getting rid of the the, uh, Teferi's protection to protect the Armageddon, which Armageddon is Wheel of Fortune in this case. It is the thing that nobody wants to see. But then when you play Tef or you play Hole Breacher, you're the only one who really lives through it. So to me, this was a uh, the Internet is too loud for its britches ban. Uh, this was something that I never saw abused often, often because I've even abused it once or twice. Um, it's something that even on creator streams. It wouldn't just randomly happen. And yes, I am talking about like game nights where we regularly see mana drains, force of wills, Aber duels. They are not afraid to pay powerful cards and gross stuff. They will do it. So I think this was just banned because of the internet gets real loud. And uh, this is something that was super, super premature in my opinion. I actually believe it deserves to be unbanned to given a true testament. We didn't even get to see this guy at Magic Fest. That would have been a great way for the rules committee and the CAG to put a pulse on the community instead of just VEDH for the last year. Murphus, thoughts? There's a lot of thoughts that come to my mind. It was a quick ban. I'll, I'll give you that. I will seed that it was a quick ban. It was also a correct ban. Um, content creators like, and I think of Game Night specifically here, right? Like in their philosophy of gameplay, they aren't trying to um, powerful play eliminating uh, magic cards. They're not incentivized to play because it doesn't make good content. I say... Um, or play restricting. Uh, Hole Breacher is, it's Notion Thief, it's Narset, right? Like there, there are other cards that have this effect and nobody has been screaming from the mountaintops that those cards need to be banned. However, I think Hole Breacher is like, if I was to rank them, it's Hole Breacher by a mile, then Narset, then Notion Thief. Um Narset draws you a couple cards. What Hole Breacher does, though, is it allows you to... Uh, the play pattern that you described, right? Let me let me go there. The play pattern you described, Wheel of Fortune on the stack, Windfall on the stack, right? That's like three bucks. Sure. Uh, into Hole Breacher. If you're just proactively or reactively playing Hole Breacher because you're afraid of other people drawing cards, you're 
ultimately wasting a slot in your deck. Like you want to be being proactive in commander, even in control decks. I, I never ran Narset in a deck that I didn't have wheel effects in because you want to win the game for you. Um, and what Whole Breacher does that's different though, rather than drawing you all the extra cards, like something like a Notion Thief would, you know, draw 28, right? Um, those treasures allow you to play all the cards you just drew, um, which I think is ultimately, uh, at least at the highest levels of the format, the highest power levels of the format is more powerful than Notion Thiefing the table. Um, the other thing though, too, um, I'll seed like, so what, right? Like it's a creature, bolt it, play lightning bolt. You, if you aren't playing lightning bolt, you should be playing lightning bolt. Um, <laughs> and yet, um, I think that what it did was it necess its presence in the format, uh, regardless of its, um, ubiquity, right? incentivized people to lower the average mana value of their decks to be able to interact early with it. Because if you didn't interact early, you'd either needed to concede and move to the next game, which magic players hate doing. They hate conceding. Or you need to try and slog through, which doesn't happen when you have no, no hand, your opponent has seven cards and 20 treasures. Like it just, it doesn't happen. Um, so there was a, pull on the format downwards that like pushes even the lower thresholds of the EDH power level into competitive, uh, not competitive, but um, it pushes the power spectrum towards the highest end of the format rather than the lower end of the format. Um, so those, th that's my, those, those are my points. Well, the only thing I would say before we go to Bosch's argument and then we go to the vote, is I think you hit on the issue. You kept uh, assinuate, uh, uh, you know, in insinuating, well, I'm only playing this because I have these wheel effects and I have these gross things. Well, that's because, and we just shared it in our Facebook group, it's because you're a high-powered casual player, which we have been told regularly by old people that have never actually played with us that... That is not what the majority of Commander is. The majority of Commander is fun, casual magic. That is the heart of Commander. That is what we have been told Commander is. So just like Flash Hulk being this thing that the CEDH community was dealing with, and they eventually ended up banning Flash, why are we doing stuff for a small percentage of the population? And again, Hole Breacher, if the only reason you're running it is in your competitive deck... That just further establishes if this small percentage of the population is impacting 80%, then maybe we need to consider breaking them off, giving them their own format. Instead of people like us, like I would like to be able to run Hole Breacher because, Murphus, you know this, I'm not a big like card draw person, like, like burst draw. I, I like static things that allow me to draw throughout the game. And... Our playgroup has gotten really into the burst draw. Like, why, if, if I'm playing a little bit slower game, why should I just let the person blue sun for 10? And I know that that's what they do. Or they const, I know this guy loves to run Rhystic Study, or this person loves to do that. I should have the flexibility to be able to hinder that card draw or get some advantage off of it. 
So that that's more my thing is the only people that this is an issue for are the people trying to make it an issue. And that is supposed to be a small segment of the population. So that is that is my issue with what you've kind of stated is none of the examples actually target the majority of the commander audience. Maybe I. I uh, yeah, I'll be curious to hear, Bosch, what what your thoughts are. I have been brought into this podcast over the last several episodes to be the voice of reason. Mr. Combo comes in here with wild theories about how Grizzlebrand's fine and <laughs> whatever, like recurring nightmare can come off the ban list, like preposterous takes, ridiculous behavior from Mr. Combo. But I'm here to say Hallbridge Ring Band is some horse hockey. <laughs> I think Hallbreacher is great. I think that the play patterns in the high level casual places that Mr. Combo was just describing that little wedge, like the CEDH and the tiers just below it, where you actually are hull breachering into your own wheels. I think that's an awesome play pattern and people at that power level don't mind conceding when they're beat and closers get coffee, right? Murph, (laughs) let's go to Starbucks. Hull breacher just resolved. We're done. Uh, You want anything? I'll pick you up a a grande latte while I'm out. Closers get coffee. Hull Breacher was an awesome closer in these drag on forever games. I don't want to sit there all night. If we are at a high power table, Hull Breacher, wheel you. I have 21 mana, seven fresh cards. Let's move on to the next one. At the lower power levels. You know what sucks at medium to low power levels? Aristic study. You know what else sucks? Consecrated Sphinx. There's so many cards that suck and that I don't want to play against. And Hull Breacher just punishes people who are reaching into the cookie jar. And I am fine with that. If you're going to put Wheel of Fortune on the stack and I cast Hull Breacher, maybe you should back that up with something. I don't know. Like, uh, did this card get banned because like medium power folks were just crying into their cereal when their wheel got hit with someone else's Hull Breacher? Is that what happened? I can't figure it out. I think that like in that spectrum of like Narset, that's still legal. Notion Thief, still legal. Leovold can be your commander. Spirit of the Labyrinth exists. Leovold is Leovold's banned. banned. Oh, is it? Okay. Redacted. <laughs> Chains of Mephistopheles, legal in the format. These I don't cards- know. Uh, Bosh, is it? Because I don't know if anyone wants to actually try to decipher <laughs> that block of text and the errated rules. Uh, it's easier than you think. Um, <laughs> yeah, so... There are tons of these effects that do exist. Uh, Leovold being banned was a thing I did not know. Uh, As a commander or as a card, or do they not separate it anymore? They don't separate it. They don't separate it. All right. So uh, the banning of Leovold is some precedent that maybe this thing is unfair. But I think having this effect in your command zone versus knocking a mana off it from Notion Thief, which I think is a more powerful effect than Hall Breacher, but it should be at four mana compared to three. That's how the, the magic And it's gathering. two colors, so you have to have right. the extra color. Right, so. you have to be in Demir Plus mm-hmm. to do it. it Hall Breacher is clearly an efficient version of this, but Hall Breacher is also a legacy card. I've played this card, and if you don't have a way to spend mana, all you're doing is slowing down opponents, which uh, if, if you... Hull Breach, a wheel effect. That's one thing. You're loaded up. Uh, you're gassed up on cards and mana. Here we go. If that card's just in play, but you're hellbent, it's like, okay, uh, <laughs> I'm not going to pay for Ristic Study. Uh, Brian gets another treasure. Okay. 
I, I I'm still going nowhere here. Yeah. Uh, I, I think that Hall Breacher, I'm going to admit, I did not read the announcement, the justification when they banned Hall Breacher. I just begrudgingly cut it from all my CEDH decks, like angrily de-sleeved it. Like, I guess I'm playing a Narset now. Uh, but I think that card exists on the spectrum where in the places it was a problem, it was a welcome play pattern. And I, I don't know where the bleed is. Uh, it, is. Is it just a pub stomping thing where like some jerk showed up at the LGS and just uh, time twistered with Hall Breacher? Is that, is that what happened? Uh, I don't know. But as far as like power level and comparable things that still exist in the format, Mr. Combo's like uh, Teferi's Protection Worldfire or Armageddon yeah. or like whatever your effect is, uh, suspend three things, then cast Worldfire. Like these, all of these play patterns exist. Uh, Hullbreacher is a tight little package. It's also kind of a stack speech, which people hate. It has flash and there's a weird thing where... Uh, the more casual you get, the less people like instance. <laughs> There's a lot of salt around casting spells on an opponent's turn. Uh, I don't know, but I, there's a lot of things about Hall Breacher that I think are really fun and good and incentivize the right things like putting swords to plowshares or lightning bolt or doom blade or pyroblast or whatever it is in your deck. And the fact that this creature is banned I, I don't like it. The, the last question I have before we go to the vote, and this is for Murphus, since you were the one that said, uh, no, it should stay banned. What if it was, is it and a colorless? All the everything else is the same. It's just blue, red, colorless. So that way you have to run it in decks with, is it like Notion Thief? You have to run it in decks with Demir. Would that make it less bannable for you? No. Okay. And, and here, and here's why, like we're, we're talking about, um, I so uh, I don't I don't mm, I'm mm. wondering whether to say what I'm about to say. Um, something we don't talk about often in Magic Bruno. because oh right we don't talk about <laughs> Bruno. Uh, we don't talk about um, we talk about social contract, but social contract is reliant on the receptivity of social cues and being able to read a room. Um, Pub stomping happen. I, I play in an LGS pretty regularly here in Southwest Missouri. I see it happen literally every week, regardless of the LGS I'm at. It it just happens. Um, and I think uh, there is n- there is no better way to turn off a new player who comes with precon or buys their first makes their first commander deck out of trade binder stuff than to shut them out of the game. And they don't know well enough, they wouldn't, to concede. Because what if I have a, I can always draw another card, right? Sure. Um, so I, th- I think we have to concede the fact that magic as a hobby has a low, has a higher than average percentage of the population that may not be cued into that that is not fun for everyone. And that there is a power level differential, despite like the the prevalence of the social contract conversation. Um, and the other thing is, I think treasures are better than cards uh, in the, in the way whole breacher plays. Um, if it was blue, red flash speed Narset, and that's what it did deal. Leave it, leave it like take it off the ban list all day long. Design me daddy. Like, you know, <laughs> uh, I'm, I'm here for it. 
but the fact that it rewards you for punishing other players, accelerating the game with mana to use is, is problematic. And we've, we've seen over the last year or two, treasures are a problem. Like ultimately they're a design problem. Um, giving everybody infinite Lotus petals isn't good for the game. Uh, so, uh, remove the treasure clause and keep whole breacher mono blue, make it a six, six with flash. I don't care. Like let's rock and roll. God, six, six at three mana with flash. I don't even care what the other effect is. I'm running you. <laughs> right. Give it flash right. too. Let, let's do it. <laughs> sure. Staple Ristic study on its body. That's fine. All right. Well, I'm going to vote to unban this purely from the aspect of a lot of the hoop and the law about it was the corner cases. And I've already given a corner case with land destruction. Uh, Bosch has expanded upon that. I think if we're going to be, if we're going to start banning for corner cases, then we're in trouble. There's a lot of corner case crap out there that's very unfair and not fun to play against that com- that that would make commander no longer commander. It now just becomes standard and it's whatever they tell us we can play and I don't like that. So, I say to unban it. Murphus, what say you? I say to ban it. Uh leave it on the banned list because those corner case plays aren't corner case. They were actually normative for the way the card was played on on average tables at LGSs and in VEDH with randoms, like that was how the card was played. It was not played as a fair countermeasure more often than not. So leave it banned. Bosh should roll. I think that Murph put a toe into the tiger's mouth talking about the general efficacy and how much sense the commander ban list even makes at all uh, as just a concept and Sheldon's statement of all time has been we ban the marquee cards that have a certain type of effect hoping to signal folks that we don't really like this sort of thing but we can't ban them all like that that's sort of like okay sure uh but soaring and mana crypt untouchable uh it i'm not going to go down this rabbit hole but i'm just saying as far as the nonsense you're allowed to do in edh if we are supposed to show up and have a rule zero conversation, play with people who are playing at the same power level. We understand each other. It's a social experience. And the, the, the people at the top, the CAG don't, they tell you not to just show up at the LGS and play with randos because expectations will be wrong. If we assume all of these things are happening, the rule zero conversation, we have the play group who understand each other, all the things you're supposed to be doing to have a good time in commander. Anyway, Hull Breacher is fine. Unban it. Yeah. Well, unfortunately, Bosch and I have no opinion in this whatsoever. But hey, Watsi, if you're listening, take over for the rules committee, please, so we can have fair fun magic. Well, thanks for getting sweaty with us. And remember, if you're looking for more fire content, check out the rest of what CMD Tower puts out. I'm Mr. Combat Number 5 saying see ya. And this is Murphus signing off. And this is Bosch and Roll. I'm out. Remember, cold takes are temporary, hot takes last for eternity.